0: Coming back to the Be A Better Ally podcast, my name is Trisha Friedman. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. This is a second in a three-part series that's a deep dive into the research and work of Dr. Emily Garside. If you tuned in last week, you learned more about Emily's research and book about Schitt's Creek. This week, she's back to talk about Seasons of Love, Why Rent Matters, And this episode is like a love letter to the performing arts and to theater before i tell you a little bit more about our special guest i do want to remind you as our three-part series is really focusing on the power of research on how it can be a driver for change i also want to remind you that i've got a free guide out with shifting schools that's all about setting up your student advocacy group to learn about AI-powered research tools. So head over to the show notes. You can find out more about that free guide. Now, back to our special guest. Dr. Emily Garside is a writer and passionate communicator who really digs into the value of LGBTQ stories in popular culture. She's a queer, neurodiverse writer and facilitator who's always looking to do more writing, research, and speaking opportunities. So listener... If you are thinking about your lineup for Pride this year, consider the amazing work of Dr. Emily Garside. Now, let's dig into what we can learn from her research into the smash Broadway hit Rent, and how theater and performing arts are an engine for critical thinking. Welcome to the show, Dr. Emily Garside. Thank you for, um, again, We're going to do a series of three episodes. This is the second in that three-part series. You've just done so much research and so much writing uh, that we couldn't fit it all into one episode. So you're here to talk about another book that you've put together, Seasons of Love, uh, which listeners can probably guess is about the smash musical hit Rent. And uh, the book, it had me fall even further in love with Rent, which I didn't necessarily think was possible. And your book really pointed out to me that that was a very subversive musical. I'm wondering if, uh, again, for listeners of this show who are maybe unfamiliar with that show, if you can talk about how Rent really was a pivot point in musical theater history and how it was groundbreaking. Yeah, for sure. I think it's got
1: like a twofold element to it, which is firstly the style of the musical and then secondly themes that it addressed at the time. So it um it first came to the stage in like 94, 95 in its original form and then to Broadway in 96. Um, And it was a rock pop musical, which seems pretty standard today in the you know, a lot of the new musicals out there have a very distinct sound that sound a lot like our contemporary music a lot of them use actual pop songs as well today which wasn't quite as popular in the 90s as it's now become Um, but a lot of them were still very much in the more traditional role role of like your Rodgers and Hammerstein so the sound of music South Pacific those kind of styles of them or the other sort of new wave at the time was the big Android Webber kind of flashy 80s musicals which did sound like 80s music but 80s musical theater music whereas Rent and Jonathan Larson the writer composer wanted to make the music of the show sound like the stuff he listened to so he was a child of like you know pop punk of the you know 80s and early 90s and that's kind of what he fused Rent with and kind of the really obvious parallel to look at today as well is Hamilton because Lin-Manuel Miranda was directly influenced by Jonathan Larson It talks about that quite often so the way that that sounds like a fusion of contemporary hip-hop and contemporary musical theater that's what rent did first essentially and there are many other musicals that have followed it but hamilton's obviously probably the most famous um and then the other flip side of what it did that was so groundbreaking was to talk about people who weren't really talked about on broadway and to some degree that was just young people um, all the characters in it are kind of in their you know late teens early 20s probably the oldest is about 30 in it and Other than being sort of the childlike figures of other musicals, we didn't really have musicals that talked about young people's experience and not contemporary young people experience. You had a few that had sort of historic people in it and that sort of thing, um, but not sort of contemporary New York where it's been staged experience and a mix of people as well, you know are a mix of quite um you know working class blue collar people and slightly more middle class people there's educated people there's people who don't have much education in it um, and there's also a huge array of diversity in it um, and obviously that changes every time it's cast slightly differently but it was set out with the intention of having a mix of ethnic backgrounds in it a mix of races and a mix of sexualities and that has always been something that's really kept at the core of Rent when it's produced whenever possible. Um, and in it as well, it offered parallel stories of queer characters that just hadn't been seen on a Broadway stage. We had a handful, a real handful of musicals and plays that had depicted LGBTQ characters before that. And certainly in a musical, there are one, maybe two examples where LGBTQ characters are at the forefront of the story. Um in this, we get sort of three couples and only one of the couples is actually a heterosexual couple which is absolutely unheard of in a broadway musical at this time and really still today we don't get it very often and then mixed up in all of this because it was reflecting the time of the 90s it's also confronting the reality that was the impact of the aids pandemic and the impact of the communities that it's depicting so gay men specifically but also people who use drugs people who perhaps were you know living in less than ideal circumstances at the time and again none of this sounds like it belongs to a broadway musical but it was the biggest hit of the decade and remains you know a hugely successful and important musical to many people and i don't think until possibly hamilton came along you know about 20 years later something had quite the cultural shift in musical theater either that rent did and kind of shows that if you're tackling sort of significant issues to a community and doing something quite innovative with the style you can really reshape the genre of musical theater and also impact people you know for decades to come um and in which case there's like a direct correlation between rent and hamilton as well because that seeing that impact that rent had inspired lin Ma and Miranda to think of what he could do for what causes he was passionate about, and in his case, the representation he was passionate about on stage. so I think that's a really interesting
0: parallel as well absolutely and and actually, I'd love to talk a little bit more about um sort of rent alongside other works, and mm-hmm. listeners probably already get a sense now of your expertise <laughs> in theater uh, I'm going to quote a line from your book back to you so please bear with me um you write quote rent while not the start of the conversation was an important turning point end quote um, and you're again speaking there directly about queer representation in theater for teachers who might be looking to pair rent alongside other works of theater um, you've already mentioned hamilton are there other texts that you're 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 thinking these work really well when you look at them side by side, when you look at kind of either the, the discourse that's between the two of them or the debate or the argument? Um what else would you represent we're thinking about when we're thinking and talking about rent?
1: You know, in terms of things that caused a bit of a stir, like it's really it feels really cliche at this point but also hair like it doesn't feel quite as controversial as it was at the time anymore but kind of in my mind it sort of went hair and then rent and then kind of hamilton in terms of things that people went oh can you do that on stage and like obviously you can like it's none of it is actually that controversial but people tend to react that way so i think hair just because it It did break molds in the style and some of the topics and the way it approached you know contemporary society and sort of this counterculture and subversive sort of you know underground of society as it were and i think that's a really important one Um, in terms of lgbtq representation as well not long before rent we had um, falsettos which was originally falsetto land and then became falsettos because it was sort of rewritten 10 years later and that had gay characters at the heart of it it deals with aids as well it's much more from a gay man's perspective rather than looking at sort of a wider impact that rent does it's an incredibly powerful piece um it was revived in 2017 i think on broadway and there's a uh, recording of it available as well now and it's a really beautiful and moving sort of i always think counterpoint to rent's depiction of that cultural moment in terms of aids just because it offers a similar but different perspective just from the groups of people that you're kind of looking at. And then I kind of love to also point people towards the, what I'd call like the fluffier, nicer musicals that have come since. So things like The Prom, which I don't think did amazingly, you know, in terms of financial success or critical acclaim. But actually, that's a show about two teenage girls who want to go to the prom together. And it's a wonderfully simple musical and I don't mean that in an insulting way it's very straightforward it's very you know simplistic in its storytelling but it's very moving and very actually impactful for young people to see a representation of their world in a musical where actually the queer women in particular get to have you know slight spoiler alert a happy ending and they go to the prom Um, and I think that is a lovely counterpoint actually to things like Rent and Falsettos which showed the darker yes important chapters in history but now that we can also have things like The Prom shows that we've evolved in musical theatre and we get to have sort of an array of representation still not enough but we get to have an array of representation hopefully moving forward and again just the way that more sort of contemporary musical theatre writing is moving towards having an array of lgbtq plus characters involved in their stories feels like actually more subversive and more significant than it does having like one musical a decade that offers certain representation and i think you know we can see that across different elements of diversity as well whether that's sort of um, race or disability or anything else but i think the fact that we are now slowly seeing that filter through feels like a big shift change as well.
0: I'm wondering, you know, I know that I will have some folks listening and they will be thinking, gosh, I definitely have a few students who would love to do the work that you do to think critically about theater. They're huge fans of music theater, but the parents or caretakers are are saying to them, that's what you want to do? You know, is that, quote unquote, serious enough? And I I think sometimes people really fail or they underestimate the significance of stories and how pivotal they are in society. Um, I'm thinking about a book called The Smart Wife by Yolanda Stringers and, and Jeremy Kennedy, where they're looking at the gendering of virtual assistants, Siri, Alexa, um, and they've got this huge chapter in the book about how important the TV show The Jetsons was in really shaping the way we are to think about, um, you know, virtual or AI assistance in our life. And it's fascinating because they talk about how, you know, The Jetsons is not a new show, but um, even I, I think it's up until this year, they're able to get this data from um the the vacuum robots and kind of find out what people name them. Some people name their Roombas and overwhelmingly the most popular name of the Roomba comes from the Jetsons And again, it just it had me thinking about stories are massively popular um and I I do think it's underestimated. I, I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit more about how your research has just helped you understand that um that stories really do help solidify what we think when we're thinking about society at large. For me, so actually
1: a useful bit of context is that I originally studied history for my first degree. So I was always very concerned with like the makeup of the world, how the world works and stuff. But actually, I think because I then transitioned into looking at how our cultural stories function and all of that, I have a better i'm actually a better historian if i was to still class myself as that through understanding the world through stories and actually i find it a much more useful way to communicate things and i think if we think about or if i think about certainly how i used to then teach history to high school students when i that was my main job i would also be looking for the stories that pulled people in and whether that was a fictionalized account and it's the same way that you know why do we keep making various movies about historical events it's because they pull us in like would like the generation of 90s teenagers have cared so much about the titanic if it had not been for that movie probably not like there would have been a niche group of them who were just very into like ship disasters but that story made us care about it the way that we have you know however many world war II films that like let us engage with a world that's really actually quite removed from things thankfully most of us have experienced because it humanizes those stories and i think that's always the way i approached my work and then interestingly coming full circle now my current job is enabling people to tell their stories so i work for a charity that supports people with learning disabilities and we are currently collecting their histories through the format of interviews mainly. And that is people telling their stories and they're so compelling. They're so interesting. And they're often really untold stories, which is again, something in culture that I'm drawn to. Like, yes, again, I you know, mentioned that we've seen a thousand and one world war II narratives. <laughs> um, and I'm like, that's great. But what about the stories from either other wars that we just don't talk about? Cause they're apparently not as profitable for Hollywood or whatever. Um, What about stories from those wars of the people we don't hear about as often? What about stories in general from our history that because of, you know, our colonial history, particularly in the case of the UK, or because of, you know, the way that uh, the makeup of politics has meant, you know, we have repressed certain groups, you know, we haven't heard those stories, where are those stories? And I think that for me has always been a really compelling argument for understanding the world, because actually, you know, I'm really bad with things like statistics and abstract things. I cannot understand things through the technical language. But if you tell me somebody's story that's associated with it, I can immediately express that and make people understand with empathy, you know, what that historical event might mean. And I think that's a really important element of it. And I think equally, the skills that we get from interpreting stories, thinking critically about stories and cultural sort of things, whether that's literature, books, film, music, whatever it is, I think that allows us to think critically in the world. Because if we can understand why something tells a story or we can understand why it makes us feel a certain way, we can then start to critically engage better with the world around us. Um, and it's also kind of a point of understanding And something that sort of occurred to me while I was speaking there as well is that idea of we're told stories all day every day by the media and whether that is in the guise of like telling us actual news or politics or whether it's our politicians speaking to us or whether it is the more actual storytelling stuff um, that is the creative media that's out there. But we need to all be able to sort of think critically about that work to understand like what it's reflecting in the world like whose agenda it's reflecting and whether we agree with it and i think if we sort of are teaching young people to engage with how all that happens they will become much more critical thinkers and also be people who will be able to go out in the world in many different ways and sort of Move our world forward, hopefully in in better ways as well, using that understanding of you know where we've come from, where we're going, and all of that kind of stuff.
0: Thank you for that very thoughtful, uh, you know, very moving. You know, as you're talking about the significance of emotions, you know, I, I find myself moved by your answer. And as we talked about last week, you know, I, part of my covert agenda in doing a three part series on your work is really talking about the huge diversity and opportunity of a school inviting you in to work alongside students. Um, You know, again, I I think that your work on rent for any school who's maybe put that on as a production or any school who has, who's fortunate enough to have theater or, you know, even just their, their language and literature department, there's a lot to be taken away from a book group around Seasons of Love asking you to speak further to it but as you mentioned, you also offer a lot in terms of workshops around how is it that we can help folks find their voice, find their story and tell their story. I'm wondering if you might speak briefly on um, what you might be able to offer a school in that, because I, I think there is definitely an informed, intentional, compassionate in of way about, of going about we- that, because, uh, you know, I think for many folks who feel like not only has their story not been told, it's not been valued, it's not been listened to, uh, there is definitely a sensitive approach then to helping kind of heal that that trauma. Um, and, and I think, you know, again, you are an expert in that. Can you talk a little bit more about um, kind of the talks that you might be able to give or or to help others understand in terms of coming in and workshopping, um, finding your voice, finding your story and understanding why it matters.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, there's so much that I tend to do in that that can be really tailored to the experience of, you know, the people involved and whether, like you say, if they A really great way is if they have done either rent or a production similar to it where you're dealing with sort of you know minority representation or representation of maybe quite challenging topics and thinking about taking how that playwright that musical whatever it might be told their story and then some turning it back on on the young people and saying well if you were going to do your version of that like what are the stories and quite often you know it's about then unlocking All of those blocks that people have of like, oh, but my story doesn't matter or nobody wants to know my story or people like me don't get my story told and sort of saying to them, well, let's figure out how we tell your story first. And how would you do that? And empowering them to do that through exercises, discussion, supportive um, environments to do that. And then allowing them to sort of work through with that creativity to figure out, you know, how actually stories like theirs can be really important, really impactful. And in doing that in sort of group settings, you know, with their peers and things like that, particularly, again, if they if they have already sort of performed other people's work, it really allows people to sort of understand that A, they all have really powerful stories to tell and B, how the medium of maybe performance or literature can allow them to express that in ways that they didn't think particularly possible and to give them tools to both do that creatively in their future but also just to use that for themselves in understanding their place in the world understanding their importance in the world um, and respecting and understanding other people's stories because that again becomes such a powerful element it's the sharing of those stories between people and kind of seeing, you know, actually there's often a lot going on in people's lives that maybe they don't know, even if they know these people really well. And then being able to have empathy and understanding for people whose experiences are different because they've been able to experience it in that way and in that storytelling environment. And I think I'm able to do sort of lots of interesting work around, you know, how we support people to do that and how we sort of allow them to have this as a an empowering tool for themselves in understanding both themselves and others through stories and it's a usually a really exciting thing for a lot of people to be part of as well and a creative one which is great
0: yeah I, I think when we talk about pride month as being a month that yes is absolutely about education and learning but also is about joy and community building that sounds like an amazing opportunity to bring into a school community so thank you for for taking us through that. And I look forward to our third and final part um, of the series coming out next week.